Hello from Edmonton. I'm Glenn Kubish. This is the Three Things Podcast. This is where once a week, I wrestle free the time to notice three things that left tracks of gratitude and happiness as they pass me by. This week, number one, medium message. The day I realized that all the places I would like to travel to, I won't travel to because as I get older, it will be harder to travel to and that I might have, knock on world, another decade and a half to make tracks. That day was an eye-opening, bucket-list-editing day. The quantity of time isn't the same thing as the quality of time. Well, huh, didn't quite grasp that at 25. Same thing with all the things I would like to understand. It might be a smarter strategy to concentrate my dwindling resources on a few key teachings and then knuckle down and try to get a hold of them. For me... McLuhan's maxim that the medium is the message is one of those elusive things. It has something to do with the unseen importance of the infrastructure that supports a message and not just the message itself. Somehow, the truth is in the prepositions, the means by which, and not in just what is obviously and intentionally conveyed, or something like that. Reminder to think infrastructurally arrived unexpectedly last week in a link my friend Barry shared with me on Facebook. It was a clip from an interview with Sting in which the police frontman mused about the building blocks of songs, the bridge of a song specifically. Sting explained that a song's bridge, like a bridge out there in the real world, is a way out of a crisis. In a song's bridge, a new viewpoint, underlined by a new chord or rhythm or voice, is acquired. The structure of the song is a kind of therapy. The structure, not just the words and notes, but the structure is the message. Ha! Makes me think. The famous bridge in every breath you take now emerges as a kind of confession of intense wound that is quickly covered up again as the singer regains control of his sinister surveillance operation. But it is there, buried or not, and it changes the way I now hear the rest of that song from back in the Cold War. Number two, curling. I am not sure why I tune into the briar. The strategy of curling is impenetrable. The lexicon is lorem ipsum. If you play that out turn, that looks easier, one of the commentators said of an Ontario shot against Alberta. There's a short angle raise for a guy that hits like Kennedy, so they're going to go the other way. The tougher freeze, but it's a better result. Fellow commentators do not engage. This passes for a routine observation among the learned. The shorthand the players use as they compose the next shot is also inscrutable. You like the runs? A skip yield to a teammate in that game? Yep, yep, came the enthusiastic response. There are flashes of hoped-for understanding, but the insight is typically dashed. It's premature. It turns out that I heard wrong. It's a run double, not a rum double. Run with an N, not rum with a Coke. It remains a sport to comprehend, which makes it like pretty much everything else in this world that is seen imperfectly, seen as if through a glass of dark rum. My task as a hack is to settle for a foothold, take from the broadcast what I can. I mean, I like the yelling. I like the sound of the rocks as they deflect off each other with low sonar pings. I like that there are more seed companies than betting apps paying for ads. I like the Canadiana. In an early game between Yukon and Quebec, the Yukon skip with his last shot failed, as they say, to hit and stick, scoring one point instead of two, which by his morose look must be pretty much the worst thing that can happen. 
Players are miked, so we heard what he said next as he explained the botched shot to an understanding teammate. It was perfect. Sorry, buddy. Sorry, buddy. I'm pretty sure I know why I watch curling up here. Number three, liner notes. Back in 1985, I forked over what would now be 120 bucks to buy Dylan's Biograph box set from a and Records on the upper floor of Londonderry Mall close to Wilco. Well, time is a movator. It moves too fast. I remember walking home across 137th Avenue feeling like a spy carrying a dossier. I know each note of those five records. I still have them, still play them, still have the liner notes booklet, still read it. Now that music is basically a utility that flows into the house like electricity, the experience of quietly reading liner notes has been replaced by, well, nothing. Dylan's latest box set, called Fragments, protects the liner note tradition. There's an essay by the U.S. presidential historian Douglas Brinkley. There's an essay by Stephen Hyden, in which he quotes Dylan wondering why critics don't let the music in. Of the reception given his 1997 album, Time Out of Mind, Dylan notes the critics were quick to point out the songs dealt with his, Dylan's, mortality. But I didn't see one critic say it deals with my mortality, you know, his own, as if he's immune in some kind of way, like whoever's writing about the record has got eternal life and the singer doesn't. Boom, as my friend Fitz would say, and boom again as I write a day later in Dylan's new book, The Philosophy of Modern Song, his reminder that it's trivial if Sinatra's I'm a Fool to Want You is about Ava Gardner or not. It's what a song makes you feel about your own life, he says. That's important. At some level, I always knew this. Probably knew it better in 1985. Thanks to a new set of liner notes, I have my updated assignment. Thanks for being out there, friends. See you next time.